going to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, we're going to pick up in verse 25. Um, it has been cold this weekend, and I'm, I'm glad we're here, uh, but it has been very cold. It's been so cold that I saw a prosperity gospel preacher with his hands in his own pockets this week. That's cold. All right, uh, so let's get, let's get started. Um, so last week we talked a little bit about uh, miracles, Christmas miracles, the different uh, miracles that we saw just within the announcement um, that the angels made. The angels made the announcement of peace on earth. They made the announcement of joy. They made many announcements, and these things were miracles. These are things that mankind can't do. Mankind can't live at peace. Mankind can't have uh, joy because there's nothing as lasting as it takes for there to be joy. Um, this morning, we're going to talk about the fact that all of the miracles that we find in Christmas um, would just make for a very interesting story if it wasn't for the greatest single miracle that humanity has ever witnessed. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. The sermon in the sentence is this, the Lord uh, has been telling the story of the gospel from the beginning of time, and in Jesus he revealed the miracle that would make salvation possible for all people. And so that's what we're going to find this morning, just to kind of set this up a little bit. Um, the story that we're going to read takes place actually eight days after the birth of Jesus. Um, it was customary during that time, after eight days, that the mother uh, and the child would go and be presented at the temple. There were certain things that had to happen. That was where the child would officially be named. There were other things going on. Well, as you know, there's always something happening at the temple. And so when Mary and Joseph and Jesus arrive at the temple, there are some people there um, that have been waiting to see Jesus. We're going to focus on Simeon. Um, all we really know about Simeon is included in what we will read here. Um, but he was a man, presumably a very old man, that had been waiting for what he said was the consolation of Israel. And so I want to talk about that in a few minutes. Um, but let's read this passage because this is what he says and, and kind of his um, understanding of Jesus. There are a lot of different people that have things to say about Jesus. Um, but I was led to this passage because of what he says and the fact that, that it, it encompasses everything that I think is the great miracle of Christmas. So starting in verse 25, it says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, and it should read Sovereign Lord because those words are there. Now, Sovereign Lord, you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. 
Okay, so as we look at this, I only have the one point, the miracle that we're going to be looking at, but I just want to point out some things in this passage because it's some things that I think are very interesting. Okay, so we know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and that's only... That's a short walk, really, uh, from, from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. It's not a long distance. And so they travel that distance, and they go into Jerusalem. Um, Mary had to be purified. Jesus had to be circumcised. There was a process for naming the child. There were some things that needed to be done there at the temple. And some of this might have been done in the temple sanctuary, but some of this was done in the temple court. And so that's where this takes place, is the court outside the temple um, where Simon is. And Simon is a man that, and Luke says he's righteous and devout. So, so he doesn't do wrong things. He's right in the eyes of the Lord. But he also is very serious about the Lord and about his relationship with the Lord and God's relationship with his people, Israel. And it says that he is waiting on the consolation of Israel. And so when we read that, we think, okay, so that could mean a number of things. In context, what it probably doesn't mean is he's not waiting for a political leader um, to rise up and cast off the Roman overlords and, and establish the, the throne of David again. That's what a lot of people were waiting for. They were waiting for somebody to be like David and, and to establish Israel as a kingdom again. But based on what he says in his prophecy about Jesus... Um, it seems that Simeon was focused on the, the spiritual health of Israel. He was focused on who they were as a people, and he had been praying about this for a long, long time. Again, presumably an old man because he says, now you can let me die in peace. Um, but the point is, he is concerned about Israel's relationship with God. And for him, Israel is far from God. He was concerned about the righteousness. He was concerned about the state of, 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 of worship in Israel. Everything about what was going on in Israel made him uneasy. And so he prayed about this constantly. He prayed about it so much that God said, I will let you see my answer to your prayer before you die. That's what God had told him. And Luke mentions that he was filled with the Holy Spirit, which lets us know that he is a reliable witness for what's going on in Israel and who he says that Jesus is. Now, this isn't even a point in the sermon, but I think it's worth pointing out that we need some Simeons in America today. We need some people that are concerned with the spiritual state of America and are so concerned that they will pray. I don't think Simeon cared about politics. I don't think he cared about the issues that divided most people. I think he cared about the relationship between each individual Israelite and their God. And we need some people like Simeon that are interested and care and pray about the relationship between each and, each and every individual American and their relationship with their God. That's what matters. That's what Simeon was praying about. And that's when God blessed him and allowed him to see Jesus. And so I think that is a wonderful segue into what Simeon is going to say. As we keep looking, it says the Holy Spirit was on him uh, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he wouldn't die before he had seen the Lord's Christ, probably best translated the Lord's anointed or the Lord's chosen one. Um, but that was what he was waiting on. He was there. And so he came to the temple in the Spirit. In other words, he didn't just show up every day just as a routine, as a, as a daily thing. He came prepared. He came with expectation that this is the day God is going to answer my prayers. This is the day that the Lord is going to show me what he has said he is going to show me. Now, just another note that's not a point in the sermon, but worth pointing out. If you pray and ask God to do something that you don't expect him to do, save your breath. 
or your thought, however you pray, out loud or inside, whatever. If you are praying and you don't expect God to answer that prayer, He's not going to. Pray in the Spirit. Pray in expectation that God is going to answer the prayer that you offer up to Him because that is part of answered prayers. So, as he goes into this, he says some things. And he does, the, the word now should be first, it should be now sovereign Lord is the way this should be translated. But he says now sovereign Lord. Now is a sense of time. Now sovereign Lord. That is an immediate sense of time. So now sovereign Lord, you are letting your servant depart in peace. Now why did he call God sovereign there? Because God's in so much control that he can let this old man live and all the different things that could kill you in the first century. Just remember that. Let this old man live till he sees Jesus, which is a miracle in and of itself but it's not the one we're focused on now sovereign lord you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word so let's think about the miracles surrounding the birth of jesus for just a minute um, because god is sovereign he is in control so there are i think it's 456 verses in the old testament that reference the messiah in the new testament and those verses make up 300 Old Testament promises concerning the long-awaited Messiah, and many of them deal with the circumstances of Jesus' birth, okay? So when we think about the, the promises, a lot of them tell us how he's going to be born, where he's going to be born, those kinds of things. Um, so when we think about just that, um, think about in the first uh, two chapters of Matthew, there are some things that we see. God foretold that Jesus would be born of a virgin, so the virginal conception, okay, of the Messiah. And I know I put a lot of blanks in that sentence, but it, it, it is what it is. Um, so the next thing is that he would be born in Bethlehem, yet uh, he would in some way come out of Egypt, and he would be called a Nazarene. So when we look at these things just step by step, let me tell you, so we know that Jesus was born of a virgin. We do know that he was born in Bethlehem because of a census, and by the way, the, the, when the government wants money, they do a census, and they keep very good records when they do a census. And so what that tells us, it, when we look at this, this thing, we, we know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem because the government kept track of it, because they wanted to get taxes out of it. This is the most perfect time for something really significant to happen in the Bible, because mankind's going to record it, because mankind wants the money. So he was definitely born in Bethlehem. Um, we know that he went to Egypt, and we know why he went to Egypt. That was because because of Herod. Herod wanted to make sure that he was killed, and so he had done the, um, the, the, the disservice of trying to kill every child two years old and younger in that region, and so Jesus and his family went to Egypt and came back out of Egypt, but they lived in Nazareth. So all these promises about Jesus, all these things that were predicted about Jesus, all of them came true. So if you're like me, you might ask the question, what are the odds? Now, if you're like me, also, you may not know math, and so you're like, well, I'll never know. But fortunately, the Internet tells us some of these things. There have been some scientists or mathematicians or whatever you call those folks that really put some time and looked into this. And so there was one, I couldn't pronounce his name, so I didn't include it in the note. Um, but the, the man said that the, the, that the chances that any man who has lived any time in history would just simply fulfill the eight most straightforward and simple prophecies about Jesus, the odds of that is 1 and 10 to the 17th power. 1 and 10, so that's the note, 10 and then, and then little big numbers, um, 17. Now, that doesn't mean hardly anything to me. So uh, for those of us who forgot math, that is 1 in 100 quadrillion. That's the odds that one person 
could complete just the eight most straightforward prophecies that, 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 that are in the Old Testament that Jesus did definitely complete. Um, and so think about it like that for just a minute. It's not possible. That's just, that's just not possible. So I know the power, uh, or it may not be the Powerball, but the, the mega millions, that, that sort of thing, um, you had like a 1 in 300 billion chance of, of, of winning that when, when it was as high as it was before somebody won it. Um, that's, and, and you ought to look at the difference between a billion and a quadrillion because it's, it's pretty significant. Um, so what I'm saying is that all these miracles, they're a very interesting story. All the things that Jesus did, born of a virgin, that one's pretty much up there. That's going to increase the degree of difficulty significantly. But when you start looking at being born in Bethlehem, coming out of Egypt, being a Nazarene, all these kinds of things that, that are really straightforward, like he either is or he is not, it's nearly impossible that all this would happen. Nearly impossible that these things would happen. Uh, but these miracles alone, this is the thing, they wouldn't provide us with hope. They wouldn't provide us with hope. Can God control the events of history and make something fit in a pattern that he has set? Yes, that's sovereignty. But that's not necessarily hope. That's not the thing that we were looking for, and that's not the reason that we would celebrate on Christmas morning. The reason that we have hope is for the truths that Simon himself mentions in his prophecy okay so jesus is god's plan for salvation so look at this what he says here in verse 30 for my eyes have seen your salvation there is no way to politicize salvation simon wasn't talking about a ruler he wasn't talking about a warrior he was talking and he wasn't talking about a priest or he wasn't talking about different religious groups which all of those kinds of things were debated about he was talking about a deliverer, a savior, one for the soul. And so that's what he was looking at was salvation. And Jesus is and has always been God's plan for salvation. He has no other way. There is no other way to get to God other than going through Jesus. Now, when I tell you that, I know there's a lot of people that say, oh, you can, get, you can come to Jesus in your own way. You can find your own path, whatever. There is only one way to come to Jesus, and that is through faith. And so Jesus is God's plan of salvation. He says that, for my eyes have seen your salvation. In 31, he says that you have prepared in the presence of all people. The work of salvation was done in the presence of the whole world. Why is that? Well, a word that we use a lot now that wasn't used back then a word, the word is transparency. Transparency. God showed his work. Since we're on the math thing right now, God showed his work. He showed you how he was going to do it. From the very beginning, he had promised, Eve, one day there will be a son of man that will crush the head of the serpent. So that was way back, Genesis chapter 3. And he has followed that promise along. And Abraham, he said, and all the nations will be blessed through you. And he continued that through the different lines and through David and all the way down to Jesus. And we know that Jesus was a descendant of Abraham, but he was also a descendant of David. And what we understand is that Jesus is the one that has been promised this whole time. And he's not coming to deal with worldly problems. He's coming to deal with the problem of the soul and Jesus was born in the perfect time for somebody to be born in ancient times yet be recorded and be known history 
had actually become cool in the Roman Empire. Cool enough that people wrote about it all the time. There was a historian in pretty much every country. People were recording what was going to happen, what was happening in, in the world at that particular time. Mankind had not always been historians, but by the first century, they were historians. So the things that Jesus did are going to be marked down. They're going to be wrote about. They're going to be remembered. They're going to be remembered inside what we know of as the Bible today, even though that wasn't what they thought they were doing back then. And also in the world outside, the secular world. Jesus is mentioned by historians, both Jewish and by Roman historians. He is mentioned. He is known. What God did, he did in public for everybody to see. Jesus wasn't sacrificed on some hill where nobody was watching. He was sacrificed in Jerusalem on one of the busiest days of the year. The Passover was the pinnacle of the Jewish holiday. And Jesus was crucified on the day where everybody was in town. So understand, nothing that Jesus did was done in private. He was a public sacrifice for our sins. Everything that God wanted to do, he sent angels to announce it. He, he put a star in the heavens so that wise men from, from far away could follow and find Jesus when he was born. Everything was done publicly so that the people in the world could see what God was doing. This next line is good for us. The light of revelation to the Gentiles. The Bible's really good about contrasting light and darkness. And for those that are in the dark, it means they don't know God's plan. They don't know God's word, and they don't know how God can save them. Those that are in the light are the ones that have received God's word. They've received the message of the gospel. They can be saved. And so what Simeon is saying, he's seeing this far beyond what he should be able to see. God gave him this vision. Jesus is going to be the way, the light, that people have, not just Jews, but all people, have to be saved. Jesus is that light. He is that light of revelation. He is that light of salvation for all people, both Jew and Gentile. God's plan to save has always included the Gentiles. Now, just in case you don't know, probably all of us are Gentiles. And, and, and that is the good news for us because there were Jews... And then there was everybody else, and everybody else was the Gentiles. And all along, Israel knew that they were saved, but they weren't sure about us. We know that we're saved as the Jews, but, but we don't know about the Gentiles. Well, Jesus made sure. Jesus made sure that we could all be saved. And so why do we celebrate Christmas? It's because of this very miracle right here that God made, a, made it possible for all people to be saved through Jesus Christ. And so what does this mean? Well, he says, and for glory to your people Israel, the gospel clearly displays the glory of God to all his people. That's what it's doing. So what is the glory of God? That he could reach into a broken world among broken people and he could send his son and save us to where we could be restored. Not everybody can fix broken things. We're kind of used to living in a disposable society right now, but Jesus fixed the broken things. And that's what we have to recognize. That when Jesus came down, he fixed the broken things. So when you get saved and when I get saved and when others get saved, it is a reason to celebrate, but it is also a testimony to his glory because God did something that no one else could do. Now, Christians, as Christians, we're supposed to be humble. And so it should not be difficult for us to say, Lord, I know 
There was no one else and no way else that I could be saved. The fact that I am saved is your glory. And that's why we're here this morning. We're not here because God made our life better. We're here because our lives were broken and Jesus restored us. He mended us and put us on a path to heaven to be with God. That's why we celebrate. That's why we rejoice. And in the spirit of Simeon, as we understand that Jesus is our Savior, that needs to be our mission for everyone else. In Simeon's heart, he wanted to see his people be right with God. When he saw Jesus, he knew Jesus could do that. Now you know that Jesus made you right with him. Your life isn't perfect still. You still have all kinds of trouble, but it's way better than what it was before. In fact, we don't know where we would be without Jesus. And so what I'm telling you is God has had this pattern of sending people to talk about him. He sent the angels, he sent the wise men, he sent Simeon. There's this other lady, uh, Anna, that we would have got to if we'd have kept reading. But you have to understand that he sends people to talk about him. And so I'm done this morning, but we're going to go out of this place and hopefully you're going to go see family or friends or do something. Talk about Jesus. Talk about him. Tell others about him. Everything that God has done through history has led to this point or to the point of each person hearing and responding to the gospel. You know, when we say the nations, sometimes we think about that as general, but that's not the way that God meant it. A nation doesn't get saved. The people of the nation get saved. Make our heart and our focus individual people that we meet. You may never get to go to another country, or you may never get to spend enough time in another country to talk to people about Jesus, but I bet you spend enough time in America to talk to people about Jesus. We all do. Will it be an impossible series of miracles, or will it be one eternal gift from God to you and to the people that you talk to? Because you know what? You could really impress people with the story of Christmas. You could tell them about all the things that, that happened in Jesus' life, the, the ways that he was fulfilling prophecies. Or you could tell them that it all happened so that people like me and you can become right with God. So what, what is Christmas? Is it a bunch of miracles that are impossible outside of God? Or is it the one miracle of salvation that is going to change everything? And as we go out of this place, I want us to go thinking, let's share this story of Jesus with those that we meet. It's going to look different for each of you, but I encourage you, it is worth it to tell people about God who came to earth so that we could one day go be with him. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this time to gather together. I thank you for this, this Christmas morning where we think about the different miracles that you fulfilled, the miracles that you did in the birth of Jesus, but we also think about the fact that the one great miracle of salvation is the reason we've gathered today. And Father, I pray that that, that miracle of salvation is true in each and every one of our hearts. 
I pray that we all believe in Jesus Christ, that we trust him, that we know that one day we will spend eternity with you. And then, Father, I also pray that as we go out into the family gatherings and the different places that that we're going to be, that we take Jesus with us and we talk about him, that we share what we know about Jesus with those uh, that we know and love. And I pray that this can be a day of salvation for many people. We know that your spirit is working. In Simeon, he went in spirit. He went in the spirit. He was filled with the spirit. He spoke about Jesus into the world. And I pray that we can do the same. Allow us to be your messengers, just as you have chosen people throughout every generation to herald the birth of Jesus. Let us be that next generation. It's in his name we pray. Amen.